Good morning. This is the I Need More Money radio show. I'm your host, Matt Monero, coming to you from our studios in Dallas, Texas. This show is an important show because we talk about money. We don't talk about it in theory. We give real practical ways for you, the listening audience, to get better at money. It all dovetails to my new book, which comes out in 2017, called Guess What? I Need More Money. The book was picked up by Penguin Publishing, a division of Random House, a top four publisher. Why? Because they believe, just like I do, that money is an epidemic. Tens of millions of people don't have enough money. That's why I wrote the book, and that's why I bring this show to you every Thursday, 10 a.m. Central Standard Time. But what we also do on this show is we bring you smart, talented people who can help us in this rebuilding of our money situation. And on today's show, I'm happy to have Kathy Fetke. Kathy is the CEO of the Real Wealth Network. She's also a best-selling author of the book, Retire Rich with Rentals. She's constantly seen on CNN, CNBC, Fox, Bloomberg, and NPR. And she does a very successful podcast called The Real Wealth Show Podcast. It is my pleasure on today's show to have Kathy Fetke. Kathy, are you with us? I am. Hello. Awesome. It's such a nice treat to have you on the I Need More Money radio show today. Thanks for taking the time. Oh, thanks so much. You got it. So, Kathy, as you can see, we get right into it on this show. I mean, we're really not a, a theory kind of a show. We're a practical show where our listening audience can get real-life benefits that hopefully after listening to us for a little bit, they can put into play in their life. So before we get into your success, Kathy, in showing thousands and thousands of people how to use real estate to improve their passive income, their cash flow, and their net worth, let's talk a little bit about your money journey, Kathy. Take me back to the early days. Where were you raised? I was actually raised in Atherton, California, which is today probably one of the wealthiest suburbs of San Francisco. But at the time, my dad bought a house there for $99,000, I think probably about 4 or $5 million today. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, he was a dentist with five kids, and, you know, we kind of lived a middle-class lifestyle because all his money, money went to raising us. But I also, you know, got the opportunity to see uh, what it was like to be self-employed and to be in control of your destiny. So you had an entrepreneurial feeling going on in your household from a very early age, I assume. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. you know, it, it, if, if it was to be, it was up, up to him. He yeah. had to make it happen, and, and that included marketing and doing excellent work and providing a service and, and um, you know, making a difference. And, and also, totally by accident... Um, he also bought the right properties. <laughs> um, you know, they just happened to be homes that we lived in, but those homes probably made us more money than any investment he ever actually intentionally made. Yeah, sure. Or, or the practice itself, probably, right? The, the practice covered the cash flow needs of the properties that appreciated at rates that, that you'd have to say in that part of the country, there's some luck too. Who would have ever thought that it would have exploded like it did there? Exactly. Yep. But what about your mom, Kathy? What was she doing? Was she uh, entrepreneurial or did she work or was she, her job to make sure you five were well handled? Yes, her work was raising five kids. <laughs> uh, so she was quite busy. 
Um, but I was raised a very Christian background, so um, in their opinion, a woman shouldn't work outside the house. And, uh, and so, you know, the whole point of sending me to college was to get my MRS, um, you know, to find myself a husband. They didn't um, really believe in, in women working, so I kind of broke that uh, belief system. But, you know, life has changed a lot since then. That was 30, 40 years ago. Uh, but, you know, I wasn't raised in a family where um, I was supposed to be contributing financially. Wow. And now do you, what was the breakdown between brothers and sisters? I had three sisters and a brother. And so what was the idea truly? I mean, the conversation was not for you and your three sisters to go out into the marketplace and, and, and grab market share and, and, and produce. It was truly to... to um, Following your mother's role is that is that reasonable to say? It's it's an unusual statement 100%. even to hear today. Wow! Yeah, yeah. my mo- my mom couldn't even go to a church where there was a, a woman uh, in any kind of leadership role. It, you know, it, it was it was a very different kind of belief system. But ironically, um, it was my mother who would kind of whisper in my dad's ear, you know, wow, we should probably buy more of these homes. And, and I mean, in Menlo Park, Atherton, they were $70,000 at the time. Yeah. And, you know, he was like, oh, no, no, that's crazy. But, you know, had had she kind of stood in her power and understood her, uh, you know, the strength of her intuition or, you know, her common sense. Um, and I'm not saying my dad didn't have that, but he was busy with his business. Uh, we would we would be I'd be a trust fund kid today. <laughs> yeah. I would never have to work <laughs> because if, yeah. if they had done what I'm teaching people to do, um, you know, those sixty thousand dollar homes are again several million each today. Yeah, you know, we all have those stories though, right? It's amazing that your mom had that foresight, but we all have those stories. I remember a guy telling me that um, uh, for some beach property in North Carolina in the mid eighties, you could have bought oceanfront property in this section of North Carolina for 7,500 bucks. And, you know, of yeah. course now, now it's a million dollars plus. Well, sounds good, but who had the 7,500 in the mid eighties, right? Your dad was, was trying to take care of five mouths and a wife and keep the business going. There wasn't, there wasn't an extra 40, 50, 70 grand sitting around to make those moves probably. Well, you know, that's, there probably was, he just, um, you know, he invested, but he just didn't understand real estate. And, you know, I mean, hindsight, 2020, right? Um, but, you know, he invested in a lot of companies that did not have collateral. Mm. So he invested in businesses, business ideas, uh, and any of his uh, actual strategic business uh, investments did not go well because there was no collateral. It was investing in somebody's idea. And, I mean, that's why you can't walk into a bank today and just go get a business loan. I mean, you can, but not nearly as easily as just going in and getting a loan on a property because there's collateral. Yeah. You know, the business yeah. doesn't work, your money's gone. And, unfortunately, that's what happened to my dad and most of his investments. But, like I said, he did buy real estate, and it was actually the real estate that has held my mom, you know, has has has, has fed my mom since his passing. Ah. Um, it, it's what's keeping her alive, you know, gotcha, so, gotcha. I, I mean, you know, fed and sheltered. It was the accidental investments in real estate that have, uh, you know, taken care of her. Mm, very interesting. Would you say your dad was, um, yeah. 
would you say he was extremely conservative with his investments? Or, or I mean, it sounds like he really was a little bit of a high flyer and, and, and looking at taking some, some big risks because maybe one or two of those companies could have panned out for the big money. Well, you know, I, it, he was conservative. I mean, like I said, he had five kids and, and we all went to college and he, you know, he took good care of us. We took vacations together and uh, most of his money went to raising us. But yeah. he did invest and he loved investing. It just, his biggest mistake, I think, when it came to money is that he would invest with people um, in his church or friends nah. and didn't, didn't really understand necessarily what he was investing in it was more of a um uh, trusting this person because they go to my church kind of thing yeah and and again you know i'm not saying that's good or bad i'm just saying that there was it was risky any any business startup is risky i don't, I don't care which one i mean that's why um, venture capitalists they have big big dollars uh that they can afford to lose you know if they if they invest a million in 20 companies there's a good chance one of those is going to take off, but most of us don't have that flexibility. So, you know, the last thing you want to do when building wealth is invest in a startup if it's your last dollar. If you've got millions to throw around, that's a different story, but most of us don't have that. So, I mean, that's a, it's an interesting um, evolution because the reality is so many people are still in the exact situation that your dad was in with the exception that they may not have what I refer to as the platform, the money machine that a, a dentist in a, a strong demographic area has. There's lots of people that have a family that still need to be taken care of, and maybe they didn't make the right choice to be a dentist or a business owner or something, and they're starting to ask this question of, how am I going to do it? I'm in my 40s. I'm behind on my retirement. My college funds for my kids are underfunded. Um, the cash that I thought I should have, I thought I would be filthy rich by the time I was 30 or 40, it's not there. So it's still, that same issue is still going on in millions and millions of people's lives today, um, except it's harder to hit the lottery by buying a $90,000 house and having it worth millions today. It's harder today. Don't you agree? <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying that's going to ever happen again. That was a, a lucky situation where uh, I happened to be born and raised in, in what became the Silicon Valley. So yeah. who could have predicted that, you know? Right. Um, nobody even knew who Bill Gates was or Steve Jobs, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, it's you, you can't always predict, but you can kind of predict. So yeah. if you stay on top of what's happening and the changes coming, um, if you can see those changes, and unfortunately, most people look at the past when making decisions rather than uh, forecasting the future. I'm not saying you know you could get your crystal ball out and and you know. Figure it out that way, but you can you can look at trends and you can look at demographic changes, and you can forecast to some ability, um, it, which could put you in a situation not not where you buy eighty thousand dollar house that's worth five million um, twenty years later, but where you can you can take care of your family and you can retire wealthy through your investment. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, there are predictability indexes and indicators along the way. But the reality that I think most people um, really don't understand is that it doesn't really take money to make money. It takes courage to make money. It takes guts. 
It takes the ability to pull the trigger. And I waited way too long to start to pull the trigger on some of my external investments other than my business. But once you do it a few times, you really begin to hopefully develop your own system. And, and then once, once the predictability index starts to fire up, then you're ready to go. But before I get into your development of predictability, walk us through how you morphed from that sort of an upbringing and mindset into a very powerful CEO of a real estate firm. How did that happen for you? Well, you know, for me, it was really pretty much by accident as well. (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me. Um, Accident, but a determination for sure. So um, about 13 years ago, I, you know, I was basically living the dream. Um, Wonderful husband, beautiful two young girls, little, little children, I was doing what my mom would have been proud of. I was I quit my job in the news media uh, where I wanted, you know, to be a well-known anchor woman. And, you know, I, my whole family was like, you need to stay home and raise kids. Well, anyway, when I did get married and have children, I agreed. I just wanted to be home and raise those children. And I knew that it was a very short window of opportunity. Yeah. And, um, and then my husband's career was taking off. He had just written a book called Extreme Success which was based on his extreme sports and how you apply, you know, pushing through fears to, um, uh, you know, to be successful in business. And uh, he was traveling the country on, you, you know, uh, Good Morning America and U.S. Um, you know, he was all over the He was doing the circuit. And I was home, you know, taking care of the kids. And he walked in one day with tears in his eyes because he had just come back from, the, the doctor, they checked on uh, what turned out to be melanoma. Mm. Uh, more tests showed that it may have spread, and when that happens, melanoma is very quick moving. And uh, the doctor basically told my husband he had six months at best. Mm. And so that was a game changer, as you can imagine. Amazingly powerful, my gosh. How did that but finish? I, I want to let you know that he's, ha- he's healthy today. <laughs> That's amazing. He- Wow. Yeah, he is healthy today, and it's okay, and the doctor was wrong. Um, Mm. It had, you know, whatever had spread, it was taken care of, but at the time, we didn't know. Mm. And so, you know, when you get that kind of news, the last thing you want to do is spend the last six months of your life working, right? So I had to figure out how to take over the finances and give him the best six months of his life if the doctor was right. Mm. And and so in that moment, you know, sometimes, not sometimes, most times, our darkest, most challenging times are are what has us dig deep and find parts of ourselves we didn't know existed, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and that's what happened to me. Like, I, I had been a stay-at-home mom for a while. I'd been making maybe one to $2,000 a month on the side, which was just good for vacations and, and fun stuff, gifts and, su- and such, but... Um, I had to figure out how to make $10,000 a month and cover the $4,000 a month mortgage of the big, huge house we just bought, you yeah. know? Oh. No, that's serious stuff. <laughs> you know, I, I, I know, I know just, just, just before we move off of that, cause I think it's such a powerful story that, uh, you know, we ha- we have the same similar situation. I not, it's my brother-in-law, my, it happened to my brother-in-law. It's actually the, the core story of my book that I was referencing in the beginning, but, um, you know, my brother-in-law uh, unfortunately didn't get the good news that you and your family got, and, and he died almost one year to the day, 46 years old, uh, four kids, 
he died with no health oh. insurance, no life insurance, and a hundred bucks in the bank. And oh, uh, I'm so sorry. You know, those are those those are those moments that you're referencing, though, where uh, you know, real life just sort of uh, drops something in your in your lap, and you're forced to deal with. And and I agree that you know, so many times those are the catalysts for the success stories. But just as a takeaway for our our audience, and it's a primary takeaway in my book, that you don't have to have those for you to have the wake-up call because you can actually manifest that story and that process in your mind long before it happens and hopefully knock on wood, it never happens in, in someone's family. But you can build that stress point and turn it into the catalyst even though it's not real. And sometimes I believe people need to actually do that to, to generate a wake-up call that you went through in real life and I, my family went through in real life as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you you know something like I said, if if everything's just fine, you know, then you you ride the wave, and you know it's 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 just when times are turbulent that you have to discover how to survive. And and so I had to dig deep, and I was determined to um, you know to to become wealthy, and and not just not just to take over the finances. Which, by the way, you know, were completely drained, as I'm mm-hmm. sure you understand, uh, from medical bills. Everything we had done right, which yeah. was to save and invest, and you know that that was gone pretty quickly. Yeah. And and so, um, you know, we, you know, I it was it really started with this 100% determination that I would figure it out. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the answer, but I had. 100% commitment to finding it. Mm. And and I and I believe that was the shift that Rich had with his health was a shift to I'm going to 100% figure this out too. Yeah. And and 100% of me is is committed to living. And um and so, you know, that's what happened for me. I I just was like I, I, you know, I had a radio show at the time. I had kept that for my broadcast Days, but I wasn't making any money on, at it. Right. But I thought I'll, I'll use that show to find out how. You right. know, much like you, um, that show's called the Real Well Show. It's a podcast. You know, still today, it was one of the first podcasts back then. My my husband was like, "Hey, there's this thing called podcasting," and he took my radio show and and Love did that. It. Nobody listened because nobody knew how to podcast back then. Right, <laughs> but, right, right. You were an early adopter yeah. of something that became very, very, very popular. Sure. But Kathy, let's yeah, yeah. So so let's let's talk about it though because there's someone out there listening to us on this show or your podcast who is who is relating to what the two stories we just shared, but they still don't know tactically what the heck to do. So what was step 1 2 3 that you started to put into place that began to change this around and and allow you with the effort, the skilling up, all this stuff that you were doing to really begin to put it into place and get momentum. So walk us through the step one, two, and three. Well, um, step one is you got to kind of get, uh, you know, get get your cash flow in order. Uh, you know, you, being broke is tough. So you just got to find out how to make cash flow now. And, um, you know, like I said, I had, we had bought this big house, mm-hmm. this big mortgage payment when things were good. And then when things were bad, that became uh, quite a burden. But at the same time, there was a way to flip it and make it an opportunity. And this was before I even knew about 
real estate investing, which was um, all I knew is I had a big house with a bunch of rooms, and uh, my husband went rock climbing one weekend, and he came home, and every nook and cranny of that house was rented out. <laughs> you know, it was like desperation, man. We needed to make the mortgage, and I made, you know, I made it. And so they put the kids in one room and rented out the other room, and then I found out that you know these foreign exchange students would pay six hundred dollars each to to uh, share a room, so I, I brought them in, and we, we were waiting in the line just to go to the bathroom in our own home, but we had cash flow. You know, we did what we needed to do. But hang on, hang on, I can't move off of that, because first it's like, Rich, meet your new roommates, right? That's funny. Um, but then, <laughs> But then secondly... There had to have been a little bit of an eating of humble pie because I assume that it was a, a you know a lovely house in a nice neighborhood, and then maybe you guys had to 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 say, well, what are the neighbors going to think, honey? Are the neighbors going to think that that the Fetkies don't have enough to cover the bills here? Or, so walk me through that because I think so many people live in this false positive, which is this this silliness that they think they're doing better than they really are. It's the big house with no furniture type of a thing, right? Um, right. So, so how did you handle that? How did you guys eat that humble pie and say, look, this is what we're going to do? Uh, we didn't have a choice. You know, it was like lose the house or or make it work. And, <laughs> um, you know, there was a lot of humble pie being eaten. I, I was shopping, uh, I, I, you know, I, because of the school district we were in, um, you know, we were, my kids were going to school with very wealthy children and, um, you know, they wanted certain clothing that, you know, they wanted brands and that's important to kids at that age. And, you know, we had to teach them, you know, you're not getting those. So, you know, we'll find you something cute. It would be our Saturdays were shopping at garage sales and I would give the kids each a dollar and that's what they would get, mm. you know, I mean, you know, and they, and they found cute things, but, um, but it was hard for them too, because, you know, if you're not wearing the right brand at a certain age, you get made fun of. And so our kids had to deal with that, you know, and, and, and be able to look at people and say, you know, well, this is a, a nice pair of shoes. <laughs> you know, you they see, work. There's so much <laughs> in that, though. strengthen our kids, too. There's so much there, Kathy, because I believe that I believe that all schools, obviously most private schools do do uniforms. I believe all public schools should do uniforms as well because it removes that equation from the kids' day because so many kids, I live in a real rich town too, and so many kids wake up and they start to think of, not not just does this keep me warm, but what's the impression that it's going to give. And I think it's such a horrible way to um, to teach our kids early on. All public schools should go to blue, red, white, and khaki or blue shorts or skirts. Period. End of story. In my opinion, it, it would it would remove so much of the silliness and mind clutter that happens in the in, in that world right now. You know, it, it, it is, I, I couldn't agree more. What's, what's really funny about it all is that when we moved to Malibu, you know, where it's the richest kids in the world, really, and, um, and, and this was a little later when things were better, of course, and, uh, and when we got here, the kids in Malibu couldn't care less about labels. It was very mm. funny because they had gone beyond what most people are striving for it, it was very interesting to be around great great wealth i mean uh, the great the, the the richest people in the world and to see that 
they they dress like homeless people here. <laughs> we we have this yeah. game we play, which is is a billionaire or a homeless person because nobody here has anything. That's to awesome. Prove, well, they were you know? the Joneses. They weren't keeping up with the Joneses. They had become the Joneses, right? So right. That's how it plays out. Yeah. So, Kathy, we got step yeah. one down, which is, hey, we're going to get our, we're, we're going to take a financial checkup. We're going to see where we are. Take us into step two as you see it, and also your journey, right? Um, tell me step two. Uh, so, first step was to be able to pay, you know, you got to find a way to pay your expenses, right? So, we did that, and, and we, you know, we cut back on all expenses. We, like I said, shopped at garage sales. I made meals. Uh, I'd buy the bulk food section, you know, at stores sure. and stuff, and um, and we rented out rooms, and we just we got that stabilized. Um, second ch- step was to figure out how to leverage, um, you know, what I was already doing. I didn't have time to go learn a new profession, or you know, I I I was like, what do I have right now that I can use and leverage? And I still, like I said, I had that radio show. It wasn't making any money, so I thought, well, how do I shift that and make some money from it? And because it's something I knew I was good at, uh, I, I, I wasn't going to go, you know, try to get a career in something I, I it would take me three or four years to learn. It's like, what am I good at now? And it was, uh, you know, radio. So I decided, well, one way people make money is sponsorship, right? Yeah. So I just, I dialed for dollars. I called every, I went down the phone book, you know, it's like, you want to sponsor? You want to sponsor? Hey, I got this show. You want to sponsor? And days after days after days of dialing for dollars and not getting any, and I just paused and thought, okay, there's something I'm doing wrong because people advertise. I hear radio ads all the time. Something They're, they're doing something I'm not. Um, and, and it occurred to me, well, you know, nobody wants to just give you money. Like if I called you today and say, you know, you want to advertise on my show, you'd be like, yeah, I, I got other places to spend my money. You have to show value. And I was missing that piece. And so, um, you know, I, I decided the next phone call I made would be irresistible. There's no way anybody could say no to it. It would be such an unbelievable offer that my next phone call would be a yes. And so I came from that place, like, what would wow somebody? What would be like, oh, my gosh, i got to do this now? And so I shifted my entire presentation to, uh, to this. I basically, the next phone call was, hi there, I'm Kathy. I have, uh, I'm the host of The Real Wealth Show. And I wanted to know if you'd like to be featured in front of my audience of, you know, thousands of listeners in the San Francisco Bay Area. And, and if you're good, you know, I'm looking for a co-host. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the next. <laughs> you know, believe me, the next answer was yes. Yeah. And and luckily for me, it was somebody who was actually quite good um, on 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 the air. Um, and he was. This was my. You know, they say luck uh, luck is when preparedness meets opportunity. At least that's what my husband says in his book. So this is where luck came into place. I was prepared uh, for this opportunity, but basically. It turns out this guy was a real estate investor. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to bring him on as a co-host, I mean, I came home and I was like, oh, man, I just sold out. You know, now I've got this guy who is going to be my co-host. And my husband said, well, his topic is mortgages. Boring, boring, boring. But how could you make that interesting and human interest and, you know, find out what 
what people are doing with those mortgages. And like I said, lucky for me, what they were doing was buying assets that cash flow so they could retire. And it just ended up being the perfect topic. It was like I interviewed each of his clients to find out exactly what they were doing with those mortgages, how they were building wealth, how they were buying properties, fixing them up, refining, getting all their cash out and doing it again. Uh, you know, there were so many topics that suddenly our audience just took off our phones started ringing off the hook with people who were like, I want to do that. I want to get mortgages. I want to invest. I want to buy assets with cash flow. Um, and, and, and suddenly, we, you know, my, my sponsor, oh, by the way, when I gave away that huge, you know, co-host position, let me tell you, I charged him a ton of money, ah. <laughs> you know, much more than I'd been asking for prior, mm. but I was giving more, too. So... You know, he looked at me and said, this show's been far more successful than I ever expected. There's no way I can handle these mortgages. You need to go get your license and take them, uh, you know, take the business. <laughs> so now you're in the mortgage and business. So I, now you're originating mortgages. Oh, I was a mortgage broker. Yeah, I got my license in like a month. And and I, my very first loan, you know, generated from the radio show yeah. was a million-dollar loan. Yeah. I charged one point instead of three. Some people mm -hmm. would have been greedy and, and charged sure. more, but I wanted sure. to keep the rate low for him and yeah. offer great service. So I charged one. One percent of a million dollar loan is ten thousand dollars. I made ten thousand dollars that day. And you could you said and to that, yourself, This is unbelievable. I just Unbelievable. Yeah, of course. You say you say now. I found it, but here's I think again I'm I'm so uh, concerned about takeaways for the audience because I believe a lot of people have good intentions but they really don't know the steps. What I heard from from those first three steps for you was was not this huge visualization plan, this grand scheme that was you know backed up by business plans and all that sort of stuff. It was survive. It was leverage what you currently are good at, so sort of connect to a superpower and then leverage up that superpower, and then learn to sell and just get to doing. Just start doing. We'll do the do and figure it out later. That's what I like to say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, people will often, let me put it this way. The best way to explain the shift is like when you get married um, there's a lot that you face through that marriage and, and you know, that you better be pa passionate and really like that other person because there will be challenges. And it's the same when you choose a career. You better, you better love and be passionate about that career because the challenges will be so, in, you know, so big that there's got to be something that, you know, a force that takes you through it, and that force is love. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I love radio. I love helping people. I love teaching and I love learning. And so, you know, and I, I, now I didn't know then, but now I love building wealth and, and finding deals and helping other people find deals. Uh, but it was that love that got me through the difficult times, the love for my husband, the love for my family, the, the desire to be able to, you know, create passive income so I could continue to be home with my children. <clears throat> That's what you know that's what made it work, and and, uh, and 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 gave me the determination to keep going. So we're moving right along here as we come up on the last fifteen minutes of our show today, Kathy. We're moving really into what has it become, and I appreciate you you walking us through the story and and really telling us 
the the genesis of how it happened. But now let's talk about where Real Wealth Network is now and and what are the teachings that you are delivering to your clients that again our audience can take away. So the the premise is use real estate to create passive income and and even if you're in Malibu or Atherton where where you know the average person probably is going to have a very difficult time finding a cash flowing pro- uh, property you help them see it on a nationwide scale. Is that correct? Yeah, so I just got very very lucky again that um that I I had this platform and I I was able to bring on people onto my show to who had been there before and could see you know, here I was in the midst of the mortgage industry when when it was nothing but fraud. And I, I came in at that time and was like, wow, you know, my very first loan, I not my very first loan, but one of the first loans I did, um, I turned it in to the bank and the bank came back and said, I'm sorry, this person doesn't make enough money. And I was like, oh, okay. And they said, so we changed the amount they make and now they qualify. Wow. And I said, oh. And I called my husband and I said, that doesn't sound right. And he goes, no. That sounds like fraud. Mm, Don't do it. Mm, and mm. and yet, anyone, any other mortgage broker would do it. And and when I denied that loan, they went to the person in the desk next to me and got got it. Yep. So, you know, fraud was prevalent in every area, not just the banks. It was the mortgage brokers and the borrowers. They knew exactly what was going on. For sure, I mean, there's and no so, question. You know, but but the bar, the, yeah. the silliness of of that whole debacle, the silliness that the that the uh, applicant or the, 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 the people who were taking out the mortgages didn't know. It's so silly. It's a, it was a two-way street. Um, everybody knew oh, what yeah. was going on. Everyone knew they were overbuying, but they just couldn't say no, and they just couldn't get out of this yeah. concept of false positive. It's a, it, it, it is what it is. Um, I'm, I'm thankful that that is over with now and that you know it has become – because yeah. I'm in the lending business. We, we finance – uh, commercial fleet vehicles, and we have for the last 21 years. We'll do about 150 million bucks this year in small ticket financing, and and we wow. understand that business backwards and forwards. So, I'm very happy yeah. that the froth came out of the marketplace. But let's yeah. talk. Uh, let, let's talk about how, do, in your in your opinion, how does someone? Because I'm going to tell you my stance on on. I, I own uh, uh, commercial apartment complexes, and I can't stand mm-hmm. single family. Houses for for the simple fact of this, I don't think it moves the needle. If I buy a house and it produces three or four hundred bucks a month in positive cash flow for me, it just doesn't move the needle of net worth. And so, how do you help people um, in 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 embracing that idea? I mean, do you say three hundred a month times ten equals three thousand? Plus, we have the equity buildup and all of that. Is that how you you discuss single family, or do you guys talk more about duplexes or quadplex or multifamily? How, how does uh, Real Wealth Network help these people in picking the right investment? Yeah, I mean, it really just depends on who you are and, and at what level you're at. But, um, you know, my audience is people who own single-family rental homes in the San Francisco Bay Area. Hmm. You know, that's where our, our show was, and that's where we've been building our following, although now it's worldwide. But, it, um, you know, if you've got a million-dollar house in the San Francisco Bay Area, it is negative cash flow, period. If you exchange that one property, you could buy 10 little, you know, rental homes in working-class neighborhoods, quintuple your cash flow, and, you know, basically I I help people get out of the game because I can't tell you how many people have made one simple change to their portfolio and have been able to retire just from that. So, you know, that's one, one way we make it work. The other thing, 
is that not everybody is able to get into commercial um, and, and, and not capable when they start out. So, you know, if, you're, if you, again, are in a high-priced market like San Francisco or Portland or Seattle and you can't make the numbers work, you can't maybe even come out with a, a down payment for a primary residence, um, let alone for investment property in those areas, and then there's no cash flow, you, you just give up. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have the down payment to, you know, get into commercial property, then it's like, oh, the, the common belief is that's just for rich people. Mm. Whereas if you buy a $100,000 home, the cash flow is, like you said, just $300 a month, but all you had to do is put $20,000 down, you leverage the rest. Sure, there's 15% um, a year. That gets you in you the bet. game. You bet, you bet. I, I totally see that. And, and then the, you, you, you can also get in the game too, though, by just stacking and racking some cash as well and then trying to leverage up relationships, which is basically what I did, right? I didn't go in as the lead investor on it. I went in with a group of people on these through the limited partnership route because I had saved and stacked and racked cash. And when the opportunity presented itself, I was able to go in and it's been a wonderful complimentary uh, investments to my business. So, so people can they they can also understand that that leveraging relationships and and meeting new people and networking is vital to find deals. Would you agree with that? A hundred percent. But you know you can't do that till you're confident and understand what you're doing. And and so once again, you know until you can walk the talk and understand what you're you're talking about, and maybe because of your background and finance, you understood more than most people. But um, you got to have credibility. And so, you know, once again, I can take somebody who maybe has $200,000 saved. And, and with that, they can buy 10 homes, mm-hmm. uh, $20,000 each on each home. And each house, like you said, is $300 a month cash flow. And so that's $36,000 a year. Now, if, if you've got an $80,000 mortgage on, on your homes, because they're just $100,000 homes, how quickly could you take that cash flow and use it to pay off one of those mortgages yeah, well, yeah. in a little over two years. Yeah. And so, you know, with that accelerated payoff plan, that person who put in $200,000 to acquire 10 properties can use the leverage and the cash flow to pay off all of those mortgages in 12 to 13 years. Now they have a million-dollar portfolio cash of cash homes, and they're, and they're bringing in about 100 thousand dollars a year passive income yeah and most people can live on that so you know that's that's a way we show people to get out of the rat race to get into passive income now after that if you've got a million dollar portfolio well you can do whatever you want you yeah. know invest, and, and people will listen to you too sure then you can start getting investors to lend to you and, and friends to lend to you and doing deals together when you can show a track record you know it's true though you got to so, start you've got to start and uh, and the yeah. reality is most people literally don't know where to start or they just feel as though it's it's a game for the rich folks. And so they have to stay and work for the rest of their lives. And the reality is you need to you can do both. And I believe most people should be doing both. They shouldn't just be reliant solely on the on the W-2 check. They need to be building some passive stuff because we just don't know where life throws us the curveball as it happened to you. And it happened to me. And it happens to so many people, not necessarily in health, but you know, the pink slip comes. You thought you were doing a great job, and the company says you were doing a great job, but we're still eliminating you. Yep, exactly, exactly. That's terrifying. I don't know how people 
can live that way, honestly. So, Kathy, so, I want to thank uh, you for your for your time on the show today. We are coming up to the end of the show and the hard break. I, I mean, we could go much deeper into the process of it, and maybe we could rehash this on another episode where we could actually take the audience and walk them through that that twenty thousand down on a hundred thousand dollars, and then the 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 ability to. Um, take the positive cash flow, don't live on it, use it to pay down the debt on the existing properties, and then over a 10 or 12-year period of time, guess what? You've got a nice portfolio, zero debt service against it, and hundred grand in cash flow. I'd love to explore that at a later date. But, but that's the game, folks. That's, the, that's how you win at the game. The key is you've got to find some catalyzing moment that, uh, that tells you that you have to play the game harder. Would you agree with that? Um, you know, I hope that people don't have to, you know, do that. <laughs> I hope that, you know, I think young, younger people kind of seem to get it and they're preparing and, and there's a lot of people in their fifties going, oh my gosh, I'm 10, 15 years away from retirement and nowhere close. So hopefully you don't have to go through a hard time to understand what you need to do to, you know, to prepare yourself for the future. But, yes, it's, it's definitely a catalyst when you're in this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no question about it. So, Kathy, let's talk about just a follow-up where people can find you. Obviously, you're the CEO of Real Wealth Network. Um, your book, Retire Rich with Rentals, that's available. And then the podcast, The Real Wealth Show, uh, that's on iTunes. Is that correct? Uh, that's right. Uh, Real Wealth Show is on iTunes. Great. And then our website is Real Wealth network real wealth network uh where there's just a tremendous amount of free education there uh to to help people get started um once you join which is free you can meet with our investment counselors and they'll help you come up with a plan kind of look at your specific situation and then i have a book that's really easy to read i mean i've had teenagers read it and say they love it and understood it it's called retire rich with rentals and you can get that on amazon that's awesome kathy thank you for being on the i need more money radio show today i appreciate your time your insight and your story thank you thank you so much for having me it's been my pleasure talk again bye-bye Hey, guys, that's the finish of the I Need More Money show with Kathy Fetke. We're talking about real estate today. She shared her amazing story of what does it take to get from deeply challenged situations all the way to the end. And you know what it takes in my mind? It takes skill. It takes desire. It takes will. It takes courage. And yeah, it does take a little bit of bucks. So if you ain't stacking and racking cash, get back to that mindset. I'm your host, Matt Monero on the I Need More Money radio show on Road Grid TV. Till the next time we talk. Thanks.